Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, we'll go to the book of Matthew. We weren't able to get into it last week, but we will try tonight. Matthew chapter 5 is Wednesday night. We've been touching on discipleship. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Jesus started teaching about things in the natural realm. And the first thing he addressed was anger. And now we see that he's addressing adultery. And I want to read uh, in verse 27. This is uh, the Living Bible. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In his heart. It starts in the heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for all your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. I want to read in the message. It says, you know the next commandment pretty well. Don't go to bed with another spouse. But don't think, this is interesting, listen to this. But don't think you're preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Your, your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those leering looks, you think nobody notices? They also corrupt. Let us not pretend this is easier than it really is. If you want to live a morally pure life, here's what you have to do. You have to, listen to this now, you have to blind your right eye the moment you catch its lustful leer. You must blind your eye. I shared with you last week, just a little bit, you must stop feeding your eye what feeds the lust in the heart. You have to choose to live one-eyed or else be dumped on a moral trash pile. And you have to chop off your right hand the moment you notice, the moment you notice it raised threateningly. Better a bloody stump than your entire being discarded for good in the dump. Let's look quickly at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and let me read something to you here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. The King James says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore, let him who thinks. And isn't it something that there's that same word we just read in Matthew 5. He that thinks in his heart has already committed it. Here we see, Woe to the man who thinks he stands. Take heed, lest he fall. Uh, let me read in the, in the message. These are warning makers, danger. Listen to what Paul, how Paul says this now. In our history books, written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. They're at the beginning, we at the end. And we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. We are just as capable of messing it up as they were. That that is something we have to always keep in our heart. To say, well, that will never happen to me. 
that sometimes the devil comes in as with a self-righteous spirit that I could never do that. I could never go to that point. I saw a documentary on a prison uh, today. And what the young man said something that really struck me. He said, we are in a lot of us are in here because we did things that we would never do if it wouldn't have been for the alcohol or the drugs we were on. So many people say, you know, they say a lot of people in prison say they're innocent. And it's because they don't remember doing the deed they did because they were caught up under alcohol or a drug. The man who murdered my brother-in-law with 44 stabbings doesn't remember it. That's what he says. He doesn't remember it. They get under this rage and this spirit and the flesh and so many things that's in the heart overcomes them and they come to and they've already done the deed. And I'm, that may be a murder and maybe so many things. But here he's talking about be careful because you may say, well, you know, I'm happily married. That would never happen to me. But it says take heed. Look at the warning signs, not maybe necessarily that you see in your life, but that are written down in this book that great men of God like King David and so many others you would think would never have failed. But they fell. And look what it did to Samson. And these are warning signs for us. It says, don't be so naive and self-confident. You are not exempt. I am not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. Cultivate God confidence. Lord, I, I, right now, I'm losing confidence over my eye, over the thoughts of my heart. I, 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 right now, I come before you and I just receive your grace and I receive your strength. I am not living in denial. I'm not ignoring this battle that I'm going through, these thoughts. I know, and you know, that look was the wrong type of look. That thought was the wrong type of thought. So I ask you, Heavenly Father, give me your grace that, that is able to help me to stand. I don't stand before you saying I can stand. I'm saying I need your grace to stand. History is full, even after the, the Word of God, of men, greater men of God, than I am, greater men and women of God, than some of you may be in their lives, what we've seen and what we thought. And they fell and many things happened. So we don't ever want to be confident where, you know, well, I can, I can, I can counsel somebody of the opposite sex behind closed doors and won't have any problem. I thank God my wife's a Christian counselor. And she gets to counsel all the ladies. Because the first moment I got back to the States, I, I tried counseling a lady with the door open. And she told me something that I thought, I'll never counsel another lady, even with the door open. Ladies, my wife, I have you. Hallelujah. But, you know, the thing about it is we have to be on guard. But I want to show you something in, uh, where it's written in, in the Word of God uh, in, in Leviticus. Turn with me to Leviticus and let me show you something here. I'm sorry, Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. And I want to show you. I'm just going to uh, tell you something here. I want to see. I want you to see this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. Now, it's something that it, it mentions adultery twice, but I want you to see in the context. In Exodus 20, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. You see that Exodus. 20 verse 14, are you all there? 
You shall not commit adultery. Now look at verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Material adultery. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Heartfelt bodily adultery. Nor his male servant, nor his female servant, or his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. And you know, I have tapes and I've heard great men of God that I admire that prayed for me in the beginning of my ministry. And I, I would boast that the only woman I've ever known is my wife. And I praise God for that. But I would, I would say it in a way that I was proud. But the Lord one day dealt with me that just like he says, you're not supposed to covet your neighbor's wife. When my wife and I were missionaries, we would come and we'd preach at churches and we would stay with pastors. And I remember going into their nice homes. I remember sitting on their fine furniture, thanking God I would do anything to have a life like this. Walking in their homes, air conditioned, heated, carpet, and get in their nice vehicles with their leather seats and, oh, Lord, why can't I have this? And I don't remember coveting a pastor's wife. <laughs> but I've coveted a pastor's life. And I've, passed, I've coveted a pastor's home. And I've coveted a pastor's car. And I've coveted a pastor's salary when they would brag about how much they make. And I remember coveting that and according to the Word of God, that's just as much of a sin as coveting a, a, another woman or another man. So I don't stand here to judge. But the Word of God does want to correct these areas in our life. And how many of you know, when you stand before a holy God, we can, I can say, Lord, thank you that I'm not like that other pastor or I'm not like that other woman. But boy, when God says, okay, well, let's, t- let's talk about Russell Cobb. Do you remember in Liberia at so-and-so's house? Do you remember when y'all were house-sitting and how you and your wife were there and y'all were, saying, y'all were thinking about, how would it be to live this way? You coveted another man's life. And I didn't call you to that. And so I wanted to get that with you. I just wanted to be transparent with you that as we study this tonight, some of us may not have trouble all the time or we may not have any trouble with the area of lust or gluttony or pride or different areas. But I mean, everyone on this earth does have some problems. And we all have some situations we're working on. Amen. So as we go through this message, this is no way pointing the finger, condemning, because there's been so many things said and so many things confessed that, that no one specifically is, is on our mind. But the thing we do have to realize, in the 1950s, 50% of the men were committing adultery and 20% of the women were committing adultery. According to the latest studies today, it's still just 50% of the men committing adultery but the study is that women are higher than the men in the area of affairs. There is more women having ex-marital affairs than men. And, you know, you have these movies like Sex in the City that I know none of y'all watch. Amen. That's of the devil. You go to hell. 
You don't need to be watching Sex in the City. And there's a bunch of other stuff you don't need to be seeing. Because, because what does it do? It feeds the eye into the heart that it's okay to just have a number of relationships and, and all of a sudden you have nothing holding you back and you think, well, why can't I do that? And so, you know, there, there's all these different things that we, the body of Christ, we have to be on guard. The world is not the prophetic voice over our lives. But Jesus taught on anger being the same as murder. Then he says, now let me talk on this. It's just not that you're doing adultery with your body. You're doing adultery with your eyes, your heart, and your mind. And he says, it'll bring you to hell just like if you'd have did it with your body. Jesus came teaching these things. He was confronting and warning us about uncontrolled lust. Now, this topic, we later on we do need to get into it and get, stay into it, but it's not what the message we're teaching on for this series. But I want to share a few books with you because this is a huge issue today. A lot of people are too ashamed to go to counseling, too embarrassed to go to counseling. A lot of people have been trying to fight it and conquer it. And, and for those who's going to be listening to this tape, uh, I want to uh, mention a few books. And one, of course, I believe is very important, is Boundaries in Marriage. Boundaries in Marriage by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. And it's an awesome book because a lot of times the problem with adultery and affairs it does start with the eye of the heart because we get out of our place of boundaries. And he, he has a lot of stuff in here about living in trusted areas. And he talks a lot about emotional adultery. Where we get beyond our boundaries of, for example, it's so important that we protect and guard our marriages. That uh, husbands always tell their wives how much they love them, how beautiful they are, how, how wonderful they are, what a great cook they are, how... Thank you for keeping the home up. And then the wives always need to brag on their husbands and, and call them good names. And uh, just, you know, because the thing about it is, is what your husband or wife is wanting to hear. If you don't tell them, they're liable to hear, hear at the gym, at work or at the supermarket. And there's crazy people out there. I'm, I've been in a, a line at a grocery store and they turn around and say, oh, I love the hair on your arms. Yeah, didn't even know her. Well, that's my hair. It's my wife's hair. You better leave me alone. But they're crazy. That woman, that one time, I counseled that woman with the door open when we first got here. The door was open and my stepmom was right outside. She said, uh, if I had a man like you, I'd kill him. Then she meant it in another way. And I thought, they're crazy. I'm scared. I need garlic around my, my neck. But they're crazy. But you know what? You keep your boundaries. Where I can talk openly with my wife. You can talk openly with your, your wife and your mate. I don't need a best friend of the opposite sex. I don't need a best friend of the opposite sex. I don't need another woman. Or you don't need another woman or a man that you can tell things to that you can't tell your husband. Or your wife. And he explains these areas of boundaries because many people fall into things that they don't mean to. They don't mean to hurt their children. They don't mean to hurt their mate. They don't mean to hurt the testimony of Christ. Ministers of the gospel, workers of the gospel, Christians, they don't mean to hurt anybody. But before you know it, 
resentments that are allowed to build up start chipping away at the marriage foundation. And just these doors start opening. And Paul is saying, read the Word of God and, and think of all the heroes of faith. There are little ways that opens the door that even the strongest and the wisest and most mature men and women of God have been able to fall and take heed. At least we are able to fall too. And so this book is so important about keeping the boundaries within marriage and some things that, that, that we learn and we read and we relearn and we keep uh, watching. There's, a, there's another book called At the Altar of Sexual Idolatry. At the Altar of Sexual Idolatry by Steve Gallagher. And this is an awesome, awesome book. And it touches a lot of things that people are going through today. And he wrote, the torment of the temptation to sin is nothing compared to the consequences of sin. The consequences that can last for a lifetime or an eternity is the consequences that are terribly tormenting. He says, when the word of God does the work, read it when you feel guilty, read it when you don't get anything from it, read it in the face of the devil and his accusations against you, read it when you are not even sure you believe it, just read it. Well, I like that. Now, that is the heart of a desperate man or a woman who is fighting lust. When you don't feel like reading it, you read it and you listen to it. Listen, the more we battle something, the more tapes we need in our car and in our house. And we need to be reading and we need to be studying. The more we're battling with any type of addiction or any type of temptation, the more we have to be drowning ourselves in the word. Do you hear me, church? Ignoring it will not go away. In fact, I'll give you the revelation God gave me today. I shared with you last week that it says that if you if you lust with your eye, the lust of the eyes, I, read, I told you about that scripture last week, the lust of the eyes, it starts with the eye. If I allow it to enter into my eye, it'll go into my hand, the lust of the flesh. If I allow it to go into my hand, then it's in my body and my body becomes the seat of, of the sin, the root of sin. And, and I've already start falling down into the road of ju- judgment, the road of paying a price for the wages of sin is death. So I've got to understand that if it starts with the eye, if it goes to the eye, then it goes into the heart, it goes into the hand, and my hand and my legs and my whole body starts moving according to what I'm feeding my eyes. Well, isn't it the same way that if we start feeding our eyes with the Word of God, and we start feeding our eyes on Jesus, and we start feeding our eyes on purity and glory, and we start feeding our eyes on the things that please God, then feeding my eyes on the Word will go into my heart, as the Bible says, and then it will go into my hands, and it will go into my feet, and then I will start pleasing the Lord, with serving the Lord with my bodies, whose it is the Lord. Amen. So we got to keep that before us. Life's greatest failures is not your sin, but in failure to read the Word. Mm, That's just the introduction. Your greatest failure is not your sin. Your greatest failure is not getting into the Word to conquer that sin. To read the books on boundaries. To start identifying an affair. To start identifying when they're saying, well, I've got to work late again. Okay, you've got to work late again. You got 30 something hours of overtime, but the check's not any bigger. You know, the cell phone bill's higher. But yeah, when I check your cell phone, it's all deleted calls. All these type of things. You know what? I have tapes by psychiatrists 
who teach on these things. And there's so much information out there to be able to, so that we don't go around worrying and wondering and just trying to catch them. But we, we don't need to be ignorant and close our eyes to the telltale signs that may be telling us, you know, she sounds like she's awfully interested in him or he sounds like he's awfully interested in her and all this late work, I, I, I don't know if he's really working late. Honey, I want to talk to you in the name of Jesus. Before the Holy Spirit, don't lie to me. Are you working late? Are you feeling something towards someone else? And you know, it can start so easy. There's a prophetess of God, Sister Cindy Jacob. She taught us in Argentina in a seminar. And she's such a precious lady. And she told the story about she never had an ex-marital affair. You know, she never did that. But she did start feeling something emotional towards another speaker that she would teach with in conferences years ago. And she says she started fixing her hair up and putting on a dress, thinking, what is he going to think about this dress? And she started fixing her hair up, wondering, what is he going to think about my hair tonight? And will I get a response out of him? And it was just that little simple thing that all of a sudden God spoke to her husband in Texas and says, call Cindy right now. Because she's involved in something she shouldn't be involved with. And he called her and she confessed it over the phone and they broke it. And so this book touches so many, so many different things. And I'm going to leave these up here. If you want to write down the names and, and uh, oh my, I'm out of, it's five to eight, y'all. And then there's another book here called Sexual Healing by David Kyle Forster. Sister Doris uh, Wagner really promotes this, but I know this man. This man was abused in his early years, got addicted to sex at 12 years old, became a male prostitute, homosexual, bestiality. I mean, you name it, this man got into it. But then Jesus got a hold of him. And he talks about, in this book, about foundation for healing sexual brokenness. And Jesus walked him through deliverance. When he would be at home by himself, and, and, and something would, and he's a minister today, and he's got an email address, he sends out newsletters and everything. But as he would start getting tempted, Jesus would walk him through the next step of deliverance. And then another day, another night after that, when he would start getting thoughts, and he would want to go to a, a mail shop or one of these places, the Holy Spirit would say, I love you, let me walk you through another step. And Jesus walked him free. Uh, living by grace rather than performance, the divine intent for sexuality, root sources of improper sexual development, the case, the cause of sexual identity confusion, homosexuality, so forth. What brings healing to homosexual confusion? Child abuse, the predator. Child abuse, the survivor. Sexual addiction, pornography, masturbation, so many things. And then what's great is at the back of this book, he gives the email addresses and the addresses of ministries for inner healing, child abuse, sexual abuse, homosexuality, uh, living programs, um, addiction to pornography and so forth, um, and then suggested readings on all the different areas that people may be going through. The closets, the things that are in the closet. So uh, you can write this book, Sexual Healing by David Kyle Forrester. 
and you may want to get it for somebody or you may want to read it. But I'll leave these three books and there are so many more, but I only brought these three to, to help you read and, 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 and get some information on your own because, I mean, I'm already out of town. Time, out of town. I'm getting out of town. <laughs> I'm already out of time, me. And, and, and the thing about it is, is that when you're fighting something in your life, you know, you're fighting for your life. You're in this area, you're fighting for your marriage, you're fighting for your children. You're, you're fighting not to degrade your wife, not to degrade your husband. Pornography is nothing but degrading your wife because you really are enjoying somebody else's body more than hers or his. And there's all these different things that you, we could just get into that we don't have the time to. But Jesus is talking here about the personal motivation for holiness and, and keeping our hearts right. And transgression, I shared with you, is willful sin, sinning. And First John 3, 4 talks about that it's the sin of lawlessness. I know better, but I'm going to do it anyway. James 4, 17 says, if you know to do good, but you do evil, to you it's sin. And... Uh, in Leviticus 20, verse 10, it said both parties were to be perish, punishable by death. But Jesus said it wasn't only the act, but it's the thought that he said in verse 28. Write this down. I'm just going to go through the, these notes quickly. Proverbs 24, 9 through 12 talks about uh, the lingering purposeful looks uh, and being warned for this. You know, when I was in Bible school, all the single guys, uh, they, they had a quote. They would say... Uh, the second time you look to sin, so make the first one long. You know, they used to say that. But how many of you know that you can say all the quotes you want to, but that don't go with God. Amen. That don't ride with Him. And so read Proverbs 24, 9 through 12. Very important. We, and listen, I wrote this down. I was going to touch it. Be careful with the potential of sin. And once again, I guess we're going back to boundaries. He says, if your eye... Causes you to lust. Be careful with the potential. If you know that there's a certain program that has caused you to think on something you shouldn't have, then that's a program that has potential of causing you to go deeper where you shouldn't go. A certain type of music, a certain uh, place to go, certain friends, certain acquaintances that you happen to get with, that you find yourself going somewhere you know you shouldn't go, then there's a potential there of being a snare to your soul, and you've got to be careful. A famous, uh, 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 an unknown writer, but a famous writer wrote this, and listen to this. Man calls sin an accident. God calls it an abomination. Man calls sin a blunder. God calls it blindness. Man calls sin a chance. God calls it a choice. Man calls sin a defect. God calls it a disease. Man calls sin an error. God calls it enmity or hated. Man calls sin fascination. God calls it fatality. Man calls sin infirmity. God calls it iniquity. Man calls sin a luxury. God calls it lawlessness. Man calls sin a trifle. God calls it a tragedy. Man calls sin a mistake. God calls it madness. Man calls sin a weakness. God calls sin willfulness. There's only one remedy for sin, and that's the precious blood of Jesus Christ. For without the precious blood, there is no remission for sin. I could talk to you about Paul talking about the struggles in the book of Romans. What I desire to do, I don't do. And what I don't desire to do, that which I do, there's a struggle. In Romans 8, 2, he talks about the Spirit of Christ setting us free from the law of sin and death. Uh, look with me in Psalms 97. I won't keep you much longer, but let me try to get this out in Psalms. 
chapter 97, verse 10. Accountability. We could go into so many different things that these books do go into. Accountability, that if there is a trial or is there is an area in our life that we need to be accountable uh, to, to the pastor, to someone of authority that you go to. I have three pastors over me, and, and, and it's important that you have men uh, that you can go to, that you could come to your pastor or to my wife and talk about these things. But in Psalms 97, verse 10, I want you to read here. You who love the Lord hate evil. He preserves the souls of His saints. He preserves the souls of His saints. You know what is a tragedy? I don't know if you ever see on TV where they show somebody famous like from the 70s or the 80s and that you see a picture of them and you remember what they looked like and they were considered a, a well-looking person or a, a well-known person. And then they show a picture of them today. And it's only been maybe 20 years. And they look like an old man or old lady. Why? Because their soul is not preserved. They do everything they can to preserve everything else. But the beauty is from the inside. And he says, be careful that your eye don't cause sin to get into your heart because then God cannot preserve your soul and the sin starts eating away and it starts hurting your physical well-being and sometimes your your, your mental well-being and your emotional well-being, it starts attacking your body. And, 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 and there's even cases, not all the cases, but they say many times the cases of hemorrhoids, of varicose veins, uh, the cases of arthritis and, and heart trouble and they start saying these cases because the soul's not preserved because it says in 3 John 2, that we're prosper and we're in health as our soul prospers. And if our soul is not preserved, then we've opened the door for the enemy to come in and start this aging and, and, and decaying process. So he says he preserves the souls of his saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. Hallelujah. Light is sown in the righteousness and gladness is the upright of heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. But he says, hate evil. Say that with me, hate evil. David is saying we've got to hate evil with all of our heart. What we see happening around the world, what we see happening to others, we've got to hate sin with all of our heart. And then in Matthew 5, 29 through 30, as we were reading, he was talking about that this, what the sin does to the, to the body. And you can later on read John 1, verse 5, especially if you have the message translation. Very important scripture to read there. Uh, of course, 1 John 2, 16 talks about the lust of the eyes. And about the pleasure that of alluring and seduction. And it leads to the carnal nature. The carnal nature that Paul talks about speaks of the uncrucified, the unsubdued nature of the fallen Adam. It responds to the world's attractions. My carnal nature responds to the world attractions. I was talking about Oreo cookies. And, 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 and I hate it when my wife has Oreo cookies on the days I decide to fast. Ah. <laughs> uh, oh. I don't like that because it allures me. <laughs> and chocolate chip cookie after when I get home and I'm not supposed to be eating that past 9 o'clock and it's just there and it's like saying, take me in. <laughs> anyway, the cardinal nature. But how many know, and I'm using simple things, but even criticizing or gossiping or whatever, the cardinal nature. And it's to crucify that old man. Amen. Crucify. Ow, oh, that hurts. But she's going to stop talking that way, Cobb. You're going to stop thinking that way. You're going to stop looking that way. But I want to, but you're not going to. 
And just bringing that, oh man, by feeding, instead of taking, putting my eye on that, I'm going to put my eye on the Word of God to watch over my soul. Somebody once said, the eye is a precious gift of God, but if unguarded, can lead to sin. We read this in Genesis 3, 6, Joshua 7, 20 through 21, and 2 Samuel 11, 2. It says right here, Eve, Achan, and David were led into sin through the eye gate. For John 2, 16 talks about the lust of, of the flesh. Jesus understood the purpose of this and he embraced the season of taking fasting and prayer to, to humble his flesh, to bring its flesh into subjection. When, when I'm able to say no to those Oreos, I'm also in, uh, in, in, uh, in uh, gossiping or criticizing or judging or pride. Whenever I'm able to say no to that and different things during the time of fasting, I am training my body and my mind to be able to say no to things when it starts coming towards me in the wilderness and out of the wilderness because temptation and things are going to come. But as I'm learning to crucify that flesh and subdue it, and that it's not going to control me, but I'm going to control it. Jewish rabbis have a saying. They say the eyes and the hands are the two brokers of sin. Matthew 5, 29 through 30 speaks about the whole body being cast into hell. That when sin goes through the eyes, the heart, and the hand, the devil wants sin to be enthroned in our life. And I spoke about that. It's his trap to accomplish and to destroy. In Romans 6, 12 says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Now, there's an interesting uh, example. I don't know if it's too dark right now, but right over here, uh, while I was gone a few weeks ago, we had to have a tree cut down because during the wind, we saw the tree, beautiful oak tree right here next to the building. Uh, they saw it just really uh, going back and forth real hard. So they cut the tree down. And if you go look at the stump right here on the side of the building, the tree was hollow on the inside. There, the tree might have been this big, but the hole's this big. And it would have been nothing for that tree to, to uh, blow over. And th- that's what the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life does. It enthrones the enemy that we may we can confess we're like a tree planted by the rivers of living water. But if there is something hidden on the inside, there will be a hollow spot that the word cannot take root in. Because I've got my root in something else. And it's leaving a, a hollow spot that whenever one day the wind is going to blow just right and it's going to fall. It's going to bring destruction. So those are areas we've got to work in in our life. Amen? So we've got to uh, study and meditate and, and bring into the Word. We've, what do we have to do? Spiritual surgery. When he says you've got to take the eye out and the hand off, spiritual surgery. Say spiritual surgery. We've got to take scriptures of deliverance and we've got to study on deliverance and we've got to study on prayer and fasting and we've got to do these spiritual deliveries. And sometimes spiritual surgery is, I admit that I'm fascinated with that. Lord, I admit that you hate it, and I'm fascinated with that, and I do not want to get rid of that. I do not want to stop practicing that. I don't want to lose that. So we've got to come to the point for spiritual surgery where, Lord, I admit it. I see it as you see it, and I confess it as sin. First John 1 John 1.9 says if we confess, the word confess means to agree with God about our sin. That, Lord, it's true. It's willful. I'm doing it against you. And we've got to confess it and, and, and get victory through it over confessing it. And then Romans 8, verse 13, especially in the Living Bible, speaks about cutting it off, cutting that flesh part off and, and leaving it off. You know, this is a gross, and my wife's not here, so I'm probably going to be in all kind of trouble when she listens to this tape. But uh, this is a gross thing, but... You know, um, I'm not going to, don't raise your hand, but, you know, if, if, if some of the men had been circumcised when you were a baby, uh, and let's say you're 40, 45, 50, 60, 
How many of you know that it, um, they used to say that when you'd circumcise a child, uh, it's like the umbilical cord, uh, the Cajuns had a, a belief that you got to go plant it under a rose bush. Well, how many of you know that if you planted that piece of skin um, 40, 50, 60 years ago and you go to dig it up, I mean, that's pretty gross. But you know, you've been delivered from the power of sin. The old man has been crucified with Christ. And when we start dabbling in things that we know we've been delivered of and that we're not supposed to be a part of, it's like going back and digging up something that's dead, rotten, decayed, and buried and is gross. And we start digging that up to start practicing it again. I just wanted to use that as a quick analogy. I know you don't like it. I don't like it either. But those things have been cut off of us and do not belong to us anymore. We have to have ask the Holy Spirit to help us put things to death. How many of you know, how many of you, uh, how many of you like myself have tried to put things to death before? And I've just got to say, Holy Spirit, I, I, I can't crucify that part in my life. Holy Spirit, I need you to come in my life and take over. I need you to empower me, convict me, teach me, lead me, and put to death those things in my heart that don't belong there, those things that I allow to get in my heart because my eyes are like, like I've had to do. I've had to come and say, Holy Spirit, I ask you to crucify and kill the generational curses that have passed on from my father and my grandfather and my great-grandfather. Sometimes you come up on things and you find out things and instead of just saying, oh my, I didn't know he had that problem, you've got to think in your mind, you've got to go and say, right now, I uproot that out of my life and out of, the, out of the lives of my sons and my grandsons in the name of Jesus. I come against those spirits that have been operating in my family line for so many generations and you will not come and you will not hold my, my life or my boy's life or my grandchildren's life down. You will not hold my daughters down in the name of Jesus and my granddaughters down, but in the authority of the name of Jesus. I cut that off from the lineage of the Cobbs. I cut that off of the lineage of the Robans and the Fontenos. I cut that off of the lineage right now in the authority of Jesus Christ. And I say through the power of the Holy Spirit that you will not occupy the mind and the heart and the bloodline of us because we are righteous seed and our children are righteous seed and they will not be overcome but evil, but they will overcome evil with good in the name of Jesus. So no matter what I see or no matter what I hear, I believe that they are free. And they're free indeed. In Jesus' name. And those wars and those battles that we go through. We all have our different battles we go through. Holy Spirit, help me to crucify those areas of my life. Pride, whatever it may be. And give me that power. A power outside of myself. And then Holy Spirit, take me to the power of the cross. Amen. Take me to the power of the cross. The cleansing power of the cross of Calvary. Take me to the foot of the cross. Well, I could go and I could sit at the feet of my Jesus that was crucified and, and, and be covered and cleansed and washed and purified by His precious blood. And I can place my, 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 I can place my sins at His feet because it's not of my own righteousness. You know how it says our righteousness is filthy rags? Do you know what that word is in the original Hebrew? Menstrual rag of a woman. And He says, the best you can do to me is as gross as the menstrual rag of a woman. Only what my son did for you can set you free and cleanse you. There's things, areas we can't cleanse ourselves. But oh, his blood can. And his grace is able to help us to stand. Amen, church. 
So the devil's whole purpose is to try to bring us to hell. But Romans 13, 14 says we can cut off those uh, fleshly appetites and, and, and starve them out. How many want to starve them out? Well, 1 Corinthians 6, 18, let me give you scriptures and I'll finish. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm getting late here. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Once again, we get to that point where the soul is not covered and we open the door for the devil. We, when, when we willfully sin, especially sexual immorality opens the door for the, opens the door for the devil to come in and start attacking our physical well-being and our body and our finances. There's a strong spirit, we don't have time to touch it, but a strong spirit of poverty tied into pornography. So we see here that we open a door for the devil to come in. Romans 6, 12 through 13 says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of righteous unrighteousness to sin. 1 Corinthians 7, 1, It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Or a man to touch, or a woman to touch a man. Amen. Colossians 3, 5 through 6. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire. Because of these things the wrath of God is coming. Ephesians 5, 5 through 6. For this you know, that no fornicator sent outside the marriage, unclean person or covetous man has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. First Corinthians six, nine through ten. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor drunkards will enter into or inherit the kingdom of God. Revelations twenty one eight. Sexual immoral liars shall have their part which burns with fire. And Revelations 22, 14, 15. Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city outside or sexual, sexually immoral. So how many of you know, the, no matter what they want to say today, the Bible is very clear about sexual sins and fornication and cleanliness and idolatry. Well, idolatry, which is today internet pornography, or any type of pornography, is idolatry. And it's adoring something other than God. Whether it's internet pornography, TV, it's adoring that image and it's bowing. And what we see with our eyes and we think with our mind and our heart, we are worshiping that image on paper, in book, or on the screen. We're worshiping that. Worshiping the images of man or woman. Now, you know, there's only one who's worthy to be worshipped. Let's stand up.